right, all right, all right, all right. Day 211. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in uh, these oracles of judgment that my man Ezekiel is giving to the rebellious house of Israel. He's going to go in for the first 24 chapters. Now, if you are not reading uh, these chapters, you will probably have a hard time following, right? Because Ezekiel is not an easy book. It is so much imagery. It is a lot of symbolism. It is a lot going on. And I'm trying to help you understand it. And you will help yourself. Uh, you will help me help you. You dig what I'm saying? If you actually read the text. All right. So Ezekiel chapter nine. In the last chapter, remember chapter eight, we had the people of God, those that were still in Jerusalem, defiling God's sanctuary, right? Idol worship was going on inside and outside of the temple, the place where they were to were to worship the one true God, they were worshiping false gods, right? So in chapter nine, we have one of the more graphic visions in the book, right? Remember where we left off, right? So now here in nine, God is like, I want all of the folks that were worshiping idols here dead, right? I want my judgment is coming. They will be slaughtered, right? And the Lord is super clear about this judgment and about his wrath and his hatred towards the rebelliousness of his people. He says this, pass throughout, or he brings the judgment, but he also says this, pass throughout the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practice practices committed in it. Listen, it's a dark chapter, right? It's really hard stuff, but in the same place, we see the light, right? Right. The God's light shines that much uh, brighter against a canvas of darkness, right? In the midst of this gruesome section, God is going to say, mark out those who have been faithful. Mark out those who are actually mine. Mark out those who have actually not bowed the knee. And guess what? They will be spared, right? They will be delivered from this judgment. So there's always hope, even in the midst of God's judgment coming. There's, there's hope. There are people that are spared. And it's interesting because the language he uses echoes back to the, the book of Exodus. Remember the Exodus Passover when the Lord was like, no, no, no. Everybody whose house don't have a blood on it, it's a wrap, right? Put the blood on the doorpost. And if you do, whether you're Egyptian or Israel, <laughs> you're spared. You're spared. And so if nothing else, yes, this passage, passage shows us that God is a just judge that will and must punish sin. But he also shows us that he is gracious and compassionate to forgive sins. And in his saving of some, he shows his grace when he is obligated uh, right, to not save any. Right. So you see the grace of the Lord, even in the midst of the judgment of the Lord as well. But he continues. He says, no, no, no. the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is extremely great. <laughs> no, don't get it twisted. The land is full of bloodshed. The city is full of perversity. For they say the Lord has abandoned the land. Listen, he does not. See, and it's interesting too. Once again, we talked about it a little bit before. Listen, the people were walking in darkness and they ironically thought that the Lord would never find out, right, about their secret sins. And what the Lord shows here is that, listen, just because uh, things were done in secret doesn't mean that they will stay a secret, right? Like things were done in secret, but that doesn't mean that they will stay a secret, right? The things that are done in the dark, the Lord will eventually bring them to the light, right? God always and eventually 
uh, brings what happens in the dark to the light. And this is just, listen, this is a warning for us, right? If this is us right now, the Lord is saying, no, no, no. Like it will be a moment when your sin will find you out, right? And so he's like, no, no, like this is something that they like defiantly and openly said, like this will never get us caught. And the Lord is clear that that is a lie from the pit of hell. So in Ezekiel 10, right? The narrative continues and it is God doing exactly what he said he would do, right? Last time we talked about how God was so fed up that he said he would abandon his dwelling place, right? And in this text, guess what? He actually prepares to depart from his dwelling place, the temple, right? And so much of the same imagery is used here for what Ezekiel sees uh, in chapter 10 that was used in chapter one. And what's interesting is he sees the glory of the Lord coming, moving out of the holy place into the entrance of the temple. Now, it's amazing because we have to remember first Kings chapter eight. If we want to catch the full significance in Exodus uh, chapter 40, if we want to remember the uh, see the full significance of this text, remember the blessing was that God's glory came to dwell in the midst of his people in the moment of the tabernacle, Exodus 40, in the moment of the temple, first Kings chapter Eight. But look what the text says here. It says, then the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. The cherubim lifted their wings and ascended from the earth right before my eyes. The wheels were beside them as they went. Listen, the glory of the God of Israel was above them. And it stopped at the entrance to the eastern gate of the Lord's house. Here, the majestic glory presence of God is preparing to depart from his people he is preparing to abandon them because they have only left and abandoned him. I think the thing that the text wants to say is a few things. One, God's uni- God is a universal God, right? Just because um, his people will be defeated, right, doesn't mean that he's defeated, right? He is the all-powerful God, and he is going to be God regardless of where he is, right? Remember in the ancient Near East, the cultural background of the Old Testament, gods were confined to geographic locations, right? But God is saying, no, no, no. like I'm not uh, constrained by a building, right? Like I'm not constrained by a particular place. And so the Lord is saying, no, no, no. like I can be elsewhere if if my people turn away from me i will no longer be with them right and so god is clear about that here and listen god's presence is an indication of his favor so god's so therefore god's absence right was an indication indication of his displeasure of his rejection of his folks in this time and 11 comes and it continues the same flow and the lord is like not only showing ezekiel these visions he's he's giving them clarity about what they mean he's like hey fam check this out look i'm indicting the leaders as well you know why it says this son of man these are the men who plot evil and give wicked advice in the city in other words god hates sin of course but god really hates when sin is on the hands of those in power he hates when people in power use their power to oppress yes but also to lead astray right and so god is like no no like they gave wicked advice to my people chief like no no no. like that's that merits my judgment right and so god again is super clear about even in uh uh describing what he hates he kind of shows us what he loves right those who use the influence the power they have not to lead people astray but to lead people in the right way in light of all Ezekiel is seeing in these visions, uh, he mentions this. Now, while I was prophesying, 
Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell face down and cried out loudly, O Lord God, you are the you are bringing the remnant of Israel to an end. So in other words, Ezekiel is like, fam, God, you're really you're doing away with all of us. It doesn't seem like you're going to spare a few. It doesn't seem like like you're literally just going back on every thing you've said all the precious promises what about those god it, it seems as if this is a wrap for us period and look what the lord says he says he says this in verse 19 he says i will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them i will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes keep my ordinances and practice them they will be my people and i will be their God, listen, this is the famous promise uh, that will be expanded even further in Ezekiel 36. The famous promise of God sending his spirit, giving us new hearts, enabling obedience in his people, us belonging to him and him belonging to us. Listen, the covenantal love relationship we were always meant to have will still be so. The Lord is going to leave a faithful few. He's going to leave a remnant that will turn back to him. Right. And uh, I love it because even in the midst, once again, even in the midst of very difficult things in the text, we have so many uh, glimmers of hope, right? The hopefulness of the Bible can't help but creep in to such dark rooms and dark passages. How? But 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 again, you know, at the end of this chapter, he's he's still kind of moving in the same trajectory, uh, even though hope is interspersed throughout. He still moves in the same trajectory and so and shows what is true uh, and what will be true of the, the nation of Jerusalem in this time. He, he he shows that, listen, the Lord's presence, yes, departed from the temple, but it's also going to depart from the city. Right. It's going to move not just from uh uh, uh, the actual temple that was built on Mount Zion, but from the holy city of Jerusalem. He talks about that at the end of chapter 11. And finally, in 12, this is what happens. At the end of 12, he goes back to this theme of exile. And now he has a prophetic sign act of Ezekiel actually acting out the exile himself as a prophetic sign act to the people, right? To show them, right? To really, uh, to show them what he was actually saying. But the interesting thing about the Synax fam is that he showed them what he was saying so that it would lead the people to repentance, right? Before what he actually said came true. So in other words, the Lord in doing this is trying to lead his people to turn from the sin, right? That has displeased him, right? And one of the things that God says here is they they, they aren't turning from their sin and they're going to go into exile. You know why? Because they're blind. They're blind and they're deaf, right? And I think it's so interesting that when the Bible talks about the sinfulness of humanity, it talks about us being deaf and it talks about us being blind. And it's so interesting because sin, I think what the Lord wants to tell us through the, through the lens of scripture is that sin um, dehumanizes us, right? We were made to be able to see what the Lord is doing and hear and respond to his word. But the deadening effects of sin uh, allow us or, or or disable us from being uh, able to see what the Lord is doing and actually hear what he's saying, right? And, and God is saying, fam, I want you to open up your ears and open up your eyes, right? And my prayer for us today is that God will grant us his spirit and his grace today for this to not be the case. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear and a soft heart that 
desires to obey you in all 